Hey everybody out there, it's time for another episode of Star Wars All In, the show that goes all in to the characters, concept, places, and things from that galaxy far, far away. My name is Mac and my fellow patrol officer, Ross, is here with me too. Mac, great to be back as always. Great to be in uh, week two of our political talks and week two of our Mando coverage. Mm-hmm. Ton of fun. Uh, last week we'll be talking about politicians, at least for a little while. So we're going to make the most of it. Last week we talked about some. Um, we talked about the bleaker side. Yeah, we talked about. I don't want to say villains because one of oh, them is exactly that. a villain. It's just, it's just bleak. It's yeah. where politics go wrong. Yes. Now today we'll talk about uh, our heroes of the Republic and Rebellion and everything in between. We're going to start out by talking about Mon Mothma, a senator during the Old Republic, well, during the Republic, mm-hmm. and a uh, traitor and rebel during the Empire, mm-hmm. and then the first chancellor of the New Republic. So a very storied past for Mon Mothma, and we're going to talk about her tonight. And we're also going to talk about her political ally through most of that journey, Bail Organa, the father of, well, the adopted father yes. of Leia and the senator from Alderaan. Yes. And then finally, we'll wrap up with our second Mando topic, full, pulling from Chapter 10, The Passenger. We're going to talk about New Republic X-Wings. So we're going to do a little ship discussion, talk about the X-Wings we see in that episode of The Mandalorian and a little bit more about it. Uh, so spoilers for... Uh, both chapters of The Mandalorian Season 2. Watch The Mandalorian before you listen yeah. to our Mandalorian topics. That's kind of the end. I think that's what we should say, yes. And I'm ready to sense. do it. Mac, you ready to talk about these? Let's go. Emperor's made a critical error and the time for our attack has come. The data brought to us by the Bothan spies pinpoint the exact location of the Emperor's new battle station. We also know that the weapon systems of this Death Star are not yet operational. With the Imperial fleet spread throughout the galaxy in a vain effort to engage us, it is relatively unprotected. But most important of all, we've learned that the Emperor himself is personally overseeing the final stages of the construction of this Death Star. Many Bothans died to bring us this information. Admiral Akbar, please. Some consider Min Mothma the, the mother of the rebellion. I mean, yeah. When you say Mon Mothma, you think mom. Mom Mothma in many <laughs> ways. You see, well, ever since we first saw her in Return of the Jedi, she yeah. has had this... Oh, here's the adult. It's not it just these twenty somethings. Yeah. Here's the here's the stateswoman. Yeah, it's a kid. I didn't put it in that lens. I didn't see it that way. But yes, that's absolutely what it feels like. I think I'm trying to remember because like Return of the Jedi would have been the one I really watched the most. And when we mm-hmm. get to that briefing room scene with Mon Mothma, you really kind of get the feel that like okay, this woman is important because for me she is kind of you know, representative of what we saw in Leia in the first film. She's kind of in that white flowing dress. That's true. With like some simple but ornate pieces. And she's very soft spoken. She's not, you know, she's just, she's presenting an energy that makes you feel she's important because everybody's being quiet and listening to her. And I never felt that way about like Dodonna, for example. Like, like, you know, 
or or or, or General Riken, who mm-hmm. are other people we've seen are in theory at a higher posting than the princess. Mm-hmm. But you know what? I think you're right. The flowing gown and stuff. I'm like, yeah, like. In 83, I think for like a heartbeat until no one tells you that's correct. Like you could believe like, oh, is that Leia's mom? Like you could kind of see it as like, oh, this is someone who is that level of decorum and statesmanship Mm -hmm. of like this. (laughs) This is what Princess Leia could have been if she wasn't her. Um, (laughs) You know, she's got a little she's got a little too much uh, Skywalker in her, you know, a little bit, a little bit. And, uh, you know, Mon Mothma is Leia's elder by about 20 years uh, in universe. So when you say, oh, here's the adult in the room, I think that's understandable. That makes sense, because also you're literally getting an older person. And all these people, like you said, are respectfully watching this. And we definitely get the impression of, no, this just isn't the presenter with the Mm -hmm. PowerPoint button. That's Mm -hmm. not why they're here. They're not just the MC. Mm -hmm. They're the leader of this briefing because they're the leader of this mission. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of crazy because you meet Crix Nadine there. You meet Admiral Akbar, And so these are like these are like three. Well, those three in particular yeah. are like, here's the leaders of the oh, rebellion sure, that sure, you didn't sure. know existed that in theory <laughs> yeah. have existed the whole time. And yeah. as canon built up, mm-hmm. of course they have. We find that Admiral yeah. Akbar goes all the way back to the Clone Wars, his mm-hmm. involvement with the just cause of the underdog. Mm-hmm. Mothma, we learn, especially in deleted scenes of uh, Revenge of the Sith, we learn was on the Loyalist Committee, was yeah. one of the people early in the Senate saying, we should take emergency powers back from this guy. He's had them too long. (laughs) Yes. And Mon Mothma, both in Legends and Canon, a Chancellor of the New Republic as well. Someone who leads us into the future out of the Emperor's reign. So that's what we're here to talk about in our first topic. All right. You ready? Okay. So let's start out, uh, uh, I don't know, at the beginning, now that we've talked about where we first see Mon Mothma Mm -hmm. in Return of the Jedi, let's start with her origins. So the earliest we see her chronologically, well, first we know she's born about 46 BBY, Mm -hmm. uh, and a lot of this stuff is not in the Clone Wars or anything. A lot of this comes from you know, visual dictionaries and stuff like that. Well, so the, the uh, places know. that uh, Pablo Hodago writes this stuff in. Yeah, exactly. So just in case you're wondering, you know, you want to look up some of this stuff yourself, a lot of this is going to come from that, and then a few things from some novelization. So uh, we know that she was uh, born on Chandrilla, which is a major planet in the Republic, and, mm-hmm. and you know, eventually later the New Republic. Uh, her, mother, her mother was the governor, and her father was the arbiter general of the Republic. So two very important people, both locally on her planet and then as the galaxy at large as well. Yeah, because, I mean, Arbiter General is essentially their stand-in for the Attorney General. They're the the head legal advice to the executive branch of the Republic. Mm -hmm. So, obviously, she is raised in a way that makes her very stately. So when you talk about her presence and her, you know, the way she gives a speech her ability to connect with people or disseminate cool. information. It's no wonder when you have parents who are both. We spoke about in like fields. Um, last episode, we spoke about like Chancellor Valorum, same kind of thing mm-hmm. comes from a political house is groomed for political service. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, you know, was always sort of preordained mm-hmm. to be ready for this kind of work. Mm-hmm. You know, what's nice about your people like your Valorums and your, you know, Mon Mothmas and whatever, uh, is that they all do feel like they're trying to achieve good. 
Yes. You know, it's only the, even though the Senate is bogged down in bureaucracy, and even though, you know, the Republic maybe isn't, or eventually the New Republic serving things the way they should, mm-hmm. they're trying and they want to, and it's only the outside well, influence of evil, you know, in its purest form that. In a that lot of ways, really they're people that believe that the, the people that they represent are worthy of all of service that we, we serve them mm-hmm. and they believe in the system. Like the thing I like about Mamathma is as she begins her career and stuff and becomes a politician, she's very embroiled in, you know, trying to fight the right causes. And when things start going sideways with Palpatine consolidating his power, she believes that forming a committee and making formal protests and checking the balance of power in the Senate is the right way to go. They believe mm-hmm. in the system. They believe that no matter what corruption is happening, the system can save itself. As long as that system doesn't become a direct dictatorship like an empire, we can still fix this. Yeah, you know, she <laughs> will hold on to those beliefs for as long as she can. And arguably, even later into his life, as we get towards the end and her decisions as the as when she gets a chance to be chancellor. Well, definitely. But what's interesting is eventually, right, even though she advocates, no, don't leave. the. And by the way, she's a senator at just 14. She's, so like she's, Leia, she starts off very, very young, like Padme. She starts just, off very, yeah. very young. So just to kind of, you know, put this into perspective a little bit, but, you know, she, she advocates for no, do not leave the Republic. That is not the way to go. You know, Mm -hmm. this conflict of wanting to leave the Republic is only going to hurt us in the long run. I want everybody to be loyal and to be treated fairly and to be heard fairly. And I believe in democracy and we're going to let the system play out. Mm -hmm. But eventually as the system fails and crumbles around her, in episode three, when Palpatine rises to full power, we mm-hmm. see that she is one of the first people to break away from the now official rule of government right, and start a rebellion. Well, so what's interesting about yeah. that is that she is not loyal to the concept of government itself. She is loyal to this form of government, democracy, right? The Republic. And so she is, it's showing us as a character that she was there through the transition. She's not a Tarkin. She's not a Masamita who just rides the wave into Imperial mm-hmm. rule and sticks with it, right? Eventually, she stay, She does stay in the Senate for a long time until about two years before the Battle of Yavin, but she starts the rebellion oh, very so early on. That's still, that's still like the lingering hope that could be fixed, but like she's given up on mm-hmm. it by then. Because I was going to say, the first time we see her in kind of like the... Um, yeah, I was supposed to say live action. That's not the right word. Uh, first time we see her in film Star Wars is yeah. in, in Clone Wars. We see yeah. her as a younger senator in the Loyalist Committee yes. and making these protests on the behalf of her people of Chandra and the Loyalist Committee of yes. we need – we can't keep giving you power after power after power. We need to stop this. The goal is to end the Clone Wars Chancellor. Yes. <laughs> yes. And – Making sure that Palpatine does not retain his power, if this is something that, you know, isn't, you've never really kind of understood from episode three, because it's not exactly stated super well in the film, but basically Bale, Padme, and Mon Mothma are all sort of working together, and it's illustrated more in The Clone Wars. Mm -hmm. on this committee to try and convince separatist worlds or worlds that are thinking about leaving the Republic to stay or come back to the Republic. This is sort of, they're trying to 
keep the galaxy I think the together. Best, I think the best way to put it is, yeah, they believe in the, the Republic. They don't want people to be spoiled on the Republic. And they see mm-hmm. the separatists movement as a wound that will need healed once this war is over. Yeah. And especially as Palpatine keeps selling that the war is soon to be over, I, <laughs> I'm making the moves necessary because yeah. of the powers you gave me to end this war quicker. Like, I feel that, like, the Loyalist Committee is basically believing, like, okay, well, he will, and we need to be ready for what the world looks like yeah. after that. We need to start roping in the the people that are, are being disillusioned by the Republicans and say, it's still going to be fine. And we need to start being ready to welcome our separatist friends back into the fold of galactic civilization. And, you know, we need to remain loyal to the higher ideals and purposes of what the Republic stands for. Mm-hmm. Little do they know that it's not going to be a republic very long. No, and they're fighting to keep something together that has already fallen apart. Right. That's ultimately what it comes down to. And so we do see Mon Mothma in film um, in episode three a little bit. Yes. Uh, and there are some deleted scenes that unfortunately don't make it into the film well, really, just yeah, one deleted the, scene. The, what is it? The, it's the Loyalist Committee and the signatures of the Thousand World Pact or the Thousand Word Pledge or something like that. Oh, I don't remember there, anything. There's a whole it. subplot from yeah. episode three that's exercised and it's worked its way back into the world after that. The movie has, there's a meeting with like Bail Organa and, yeah. and Mothma about, you know, the loyalist committee mm-hmm. and basically that showing that there are many senators who are not just going to be there clapping when Palpatine declares emperor. Yeah. Um, and there are some other subplotty stuff that's, I think, in some of the novelizations originally about yes. there's a group of people who are trying to protect the Republic. And like I said, I think it's it's like the signatures of the Thousand World thing. I, and that may not even be canon anymore, but like mm. it was a discussion of like, hey, the Loyalist Committee represents about a thousand systems. Like the people who are hearing that. So out of. However, out of the, you know, 10,000 worlds Mm -hmm. that represent at least a tenth of like the Senate is absolutely ready to strip Palpatine of his powers and go back to normal when the Clone Wars are done. No one's really anti-war per se. You know, they still think we have to stop this violence. But once we do that, we've got to go back to where we were. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yes. So... I mean, pacifists, right? That's what these people are. These are yes. people who do not want the war, and they're trying everything in sort of their legal power mm-hmm. to make that happen, mm-hmm. right? Like, that's ultimately what we're talking about. And it's funny because when you think about it, in the big span of things, the Clone Wars last, you know, three years, you know, kind of at most. It's, you know, a, it's little, about a little nebulous, but, you know, less than three years is kind of the general idea. Yeah. And... I don't know. It, it's kind of interesting because we <laughs> we have this, in the terms of, like, our world, incredibly short war. And even in terms of, like, you know, past wars, historical wars and Star Wars legends, mm-hmm. those are generally all much longer conflicts, you know? And so it's funny, this war that only lasts three years between the Republic and the Separatists, it's, it's- not... A particularly long war. Well, I think that maybe is a reflection of... Well, okay, that's a reflection of George Lucas had a timeline because of the prequels. So, sure. So for Luke to be 19 in episode four, the Clone Wars have to be over by... <laughs> yeah, fair. I mean, at some level, that's the actual truth of why it's only three yeah. years. Because I'm sure the people that made the Clone Wars TV show is like, oh, if you stitch this all together with the travel time between all these planets... 
It's probably not three years, but you know what though? I so <laughs> all right. Small tangent, but I want to go off on uh, okay. it because I think it's important. When you talk about travel time in Star Wars, because this has come up comes up a lot. I mean, for years it has before the Clone Wars, before all that. And it's funny because in uh, the end of the Clone Wars, season seven, yes, when the Emperor, sorry, when Palpatine gets kidnapped. And Obi-Wan comes running in, say, you know, interrupting Anakin and Ahsoka's meeting. He says, he's been kidnapped. We need to return to Coruscant. We can be there. Doesn't he say, like, within the hour? Yes. And as I've read more Legends books and I've thought about it more and consume more Star Wars content, you know, they talk so much about these different hyperspace lanes. Yes. And different entities controlling these different hyperspace lanes. Yes. So hypothetically, right, you have one group, a, a Republic starship, that is on a critical mission that can take the fastest route, maybe a route that isn't even open to the public because right. they're military early. They right? have no, well, they have it locked down, and with a military transponder, you might be able to get those lanes. Yes, yes, yes. So when you talk about like time to get places in Star Wars, it's not just like getting in your car and driving somewhere. Not no. everybody is on the same road. So I find that to be a a recent revelation we, in Star Wars that I've had. We should break down that topic. Hyperspace is a fascinating topic, yeah. and it's got a lot of weird... Like, one of the things they, they specifically spell out in the movies is Han says that the the Millennium Falcon has a Star Cruiser's hyperdrive. Yeah. He's got a way bigger hyperdrive than a ship that size needs, which implies something that's generally true in Star Wars is the bigger the ship... The faster it can go, which seems weird, but that's what. But also, there's momentum, huh. right? And isn't that based on? All right, I'm writing it down. We need to do a hyperspace time. topic. I'm going to write yeah. that down. Okay, good. Um, but anyway, so Mom, the Clone Mom, Wars. Mom. Well, the Clone Wars are about three years of stuff, but I think the biggest thing is it's a reflection of our world where we have felt that you yes. know, like the Civil War took a lot longer than World War II, and World War II took a lot longer than like say the the Iraq war. Yeah. Right. But like, think about the Iraq war and how much of that has changed, at least here, in, especially here in the States, but like our political discourse and how much that has changed our way of looking at war and, and what is an engagement yeah. we should be part of and what yeah. is engagement we shouldn't be and whether we should stay there or not stay there. Like there's a lot of that stuff. So when I think about it, like you figure that it's not so much the Clone Wars are disruptive because of how long they took. It's the fact that every single world basically in the Republic was touched by it. There's yeah. no, it is so wide and broad yeah. across the entire spectrum of all life in this galaxy. That is why it's so scarring. Not because it was a particularly horrible conflict for any particular part of it, unless you're Geonosis, but in general, like, you know, it's just more the fact that everyone knows about the Clone Wars because everyone knows someone who is in the Clone Wars. Everyone was a part of it. And it's funny because other than on your local planet, right, mm -hmm. you wouldn't send soldiers out to fight in the Clone Wars. You would only defend your local planet. So every planet kind of gets like this staunch, I don't know if you call it patriotism, but like, would. The, you know, this, this like, we're defending our planet. We're part of this war and we're defending our planet from the enemies. And so then you have, after all that is over, after all this hardship and we can celebrate we won or no, we lost, we're in defeat, right? We're the separatists. All of a sudden, just all of our droids shut down. What the heck happened, right? right? But then no matter what, whether you won or lose, you get this Imperial boot coming and stomping down on you almost immediately. Well, and you and think it's a very interesting thing to what it does to the morale of the galaxy when you eventually then see all of these small rebel cells pop up that Mon Mothma unites. 
And when you think of Mon Mothma, you feel that that's what she was working towards is like, hey, when like, say the war is over, a con- a pl- say it take a place that's being politically altered from the ground up like Ryloth, mm-hmm. which is like, we're going to ride the wave of this Clone Wars mm-hmm. to our own total freedom from the political caste that has been harming us this entire mm-hmm. time. Sure, they may be, you know, they may have a senatorship on the Republic, but no, they're you're you're not aware of what they're doing to us. Yeah. Right? And they're going to ride this wave and you see like a Mamathra Bale going like, well, yes, but leaving the Republic isn't the right answer. <laughs> and you got to feel about how bad those people feel of like, you told us not to leave it. You said, it's okay. Have the Republic garrison there to protect you. And then when they become <laughs> the boot that's on your neck, like as we saw in the book Dark Lords of the Sith, we saw how Ryloth fared under having them flip to Imperial and how much worse that made everything. Yes. Right? Yeah. And so you have such disenfranchisement. You have, um, like I said, I think we're going to see something continually built up, especially as of our own current world, of like the core worlds had the Imperials come and say, hey, we're your police now. And the Outer Rim had, we own you now. <laughs> you're part of the Republic. You're part of the Empire, whether you like it or not. And so even like a planet that's mostly run by a crime lord like Tatooine has a huge Imperial garrison. And in the last one of the episodes of Mandalorian, we saw that like, when that power vacuum hit, like, imps just got out because they were only there because they were told to be. Yeah. And the only reason people tolerate the Empire is fear of the Empire. Yeah. Because they had no business being on that planet. For sure. Um, And so you take all of that angst and ball it up and someone like Mon Mothma and Bale are like, this is what we have to do. If we want to save the Republic, we have to destroy the Empire. Yeah. So Mon Mothma starts the alliance to reunite their sorry the alliance the, to restore the, the republic alliance to restore the republic i always feel like i mess it up because i'm trying to create an acronym in my head that isn't there well it's also because you know? it's a weird flip because it's also something that didn't come back to canon for a minute yeah that came from uh force of, force unleashed i think originally oh, was the first that was stated well, because Force Unleashed yeah. was you building the, the Rebellion. Yeah. But that's not how the Rebellion comes together no, anymore. it's not. But yeah, it's the Alliance to Restore the Republic, which yeah. is, I think, in canon, starts out as this is a referendum yeah. that like a bunch of senators write of like, we should restore the Republic and not become an empire. Low key. We don't lose our jobs, but. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about Mon Mothma leaving the Galactic Senate. Yes. So it happens two years before the Battle of Yavin. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is based on the Gorman Massacre. Now, this is something that is mentioned in Rebels. Uh, and it is also, I believe it's in, uh, I looked up, it's in one of the Rogue One visual dictionaries as well. But essentially, the Emperor's, uh, the Empire slaughters peaceful protesters, kills peaceful, peaceful protesters. And yeah. this is sort of the, the last straw for Mon Mothma. The Senate is powerless to stop this. The Empire is doing things that it should not be doing that are, you know, that are not good for the health of the galaxy. And so she basically becomes a fugitive by leaving the Senate and by speaking out and by organizing rebels. And there's a in in rebels, actually, in the show, we get to see there's a there's a speech that she gives, you mm-hmm. know, that, that we actually get to hear her kind of going out and trying to unite these rebel cells. Uh, Mac, do you want me to read it real quick? Yes. OK, so uh, this is Senator Mon Mothma. I have been called a traitor for speaking out against the corrupt Galactic Senate, a Senate manipulated by the sinister tactics of the Emperor. For too long, I have watched the heavy hand of the Empire strangle our liberties, stifling our freedoms in the name of ensuring our safety. No longer, 
despite imperial threats, despite the emperor himself, I have no fear as I take new action, for I am not alone. Beginning mm-hmm. today, we stand together as allies. I hereby resign from the Senate to fight for you, not from the distant hall of politics, but from the front lines. We will not rest until we bring an end to the empire, until we restore our republic. Are you with me? Mm-hmm. And if you remember that episode, I haven't watched it in a couple. I watched it earlier this year. It was the last time yeah. I did a Rebels rewatch. But essentially, if I remember correctly, so I didn't go back and look it up, and I should have. You're fine. Uh, they're basically in a tough situation. She's with the crew of the Ghost, and she's calling out for support so they literally don't get blown up by the Empire. Right. Yeah. Um, so there is some good Mon Mothma stuff out there in animated Star Wars and also in some of the novelizations. Mm-hmm. And that is where we get the bulk of the later content that comes from her life. So we know we see her in Rogue One. Yes. We know we see her then again. And the reason, oh, we should also point out, why is she not at the Battle of Yavin? Well, that is oh. answered for us. In, in our favorite source it, of all time. Yeah, from a certain point of view. The reason she was not at the Battle of Yavin is that she was the designated survivor. Yes. She had to leave in case the planet blew up so she could make a statement to the galaxy, someone who was trusted and also in charge, important, right? Yep. Someone who could get the message out to the galaxy at large and basically say, no, whatever propaganda the Empire says, this is not true. Here's what really happened. It, it, there's a fun little echo of something that I think it's maybe just because the last reread I did was right at the right time of... It literally talks about her having like two prepared speeches, one if they survive and one if they don't. Yeah. And it reminds me of very famously in American history that was, um, uh, I think it was, I guess it was Nixon at the time. The, the president had the, if the men land on the moon well, here's the speech. If the men don't land on the moon well, here's why they were so brave. Like, yes. And it's the same kind of thing of like Mon Mothma is frustrated having to leave this battle leave the bulk of it mm. but also knows and it sums her up as a character knows she is required for the salvation of the rebellion to do this she will always make the sacrifice for the mm-hmm. greater good she's very utilitarian in that way and in some ways it's kind of i guess the flaw of her character is she is so symbolic in the way she's used. Cause we were looking at the articles and like some of the information, like so much of it is like, and then she was here and then she was there and then she was here. Like so little of it is deep and meaningful. It's always just, she's sort of like the avatar again. She's when she's here, the rebellion is here and with us and it's important. And when she's not here, it's like, well, this is important, but not that important. It's not a matter of state, you know? <laughs> yeah. um, so I, I kind of wish we would get more because she's such an influential character to the rebellion. And I'm sure we will. I mean, some That's of true. the best Mon Mothma content comes from the Aftermath trilogy yes. and Bloodline. Yes. I mean, that is some no, of the best yes, of it. Yes. Uh, and those both take place after Endor. So let's talk about that. Now, Mon Mothma is basically responsible for continuing to rally forces after the destruction of the second Death Star. Mm-hmm. She basically brings together and helps um, build the charter for the New Republic. And she has mm-hmm. elected the first chancellor yes. of the New Republic. And the Senate, the New Republic Senate, also decides to grant her the same powers that Palpatine had when he was elected emperor. They basically they basically almost reset the government to, okay, 
Palpatine didn't happen. We elected our new chancellor and that new chancellor has the, we have like the same charters and articles of confederation or or, or the articles of, of governance that the Republic has. And then it's this great symbolic thing as Min Mothma uses those powers and slowly gives them up, slowly removes them from the office. Yes. She believes that she can't have these. Government cannot run effectively if there's someone who could potentially be tyrannical at the top and, you know, could exploit the powers. And so she basically not only supports removing these emergency powers from her power inventory. Well, from her position. From, from her so position. that no chancellor yeah. so has no these. Chancellor. It's not just her, right? No chancellor yeah. in the future. But also she basically advocates for demilitarizing the Republic. She wants to essentially get rid of 90% of the military mm-hmm. and wants to use the remaining 10% to basically teach and supply each individual world to defend themselves. Her goal is to get back to planetary defense strategies mm-hmm. and coalitions, which was how the Republic defended itself before. Yeah. They had which the standing... is a very anti-government stance, right. which is interesting. Well... We see in Bloodlines this kind of being at the pincer point of the two now forming parties of the New Republic Senate, which is the Centralists and um, the what's uh, populist. Cent- populist. populist, the Centralists and the Populists. The Populists are for more independence for the worlds and looking at the the New Republic as a overbody, like the like how we have the UN. The UN does not at any level break the sovereignty of each nation that's a member of it, but it right. is a place where we can come together, work out our disputes between nation states, and also figure out things we will do as groups of yes. nation states to do stuff. Where the centralists say, hey, one of the good things that came out of the empire is we have a central bank, we have a central military, we have a central, like, we have a consolidated standard that everyone can build prosperity out of. And that may have come in a very terrible way, but, like, it is a thing that many worlds benefited from that never had, like, they no longer had to be expecting on their neighbor's fleet to come and save them if that neighbor had time. Like, they didn't have to build their own planetary defense. They were provided for by the central government. And so even in aftermath, it's a kind of controversial thing. She wants to essentially dismantle the military. Yes, she's doing this very. I mean, aftermath is just a few months after the second Death Star. And by the second aftermath book, you know, they're holding celebrations. The the empire is coming to an end. We've you know, we've won the war. You know, they're going to sign these peace treaties. You know, that she is kind of this big public figure. She's not just a big figure for the rebellion anymore. She's a figure of unity you know she wants to bring the uh bring the people who were part of the emperor's reign into the new republic she wants everyone to get along and she's very idyllic and the interesting thing about her is i think she's coming from a character perspective that's really really intelligent which is no no no. we didn't have a grand army of the republic for the first millennia of the republic we do not need it now like I am compromising by leaving 10% of it when we never had a standing army. We had the Jedi and that was it. So these 10, you know, this 10% is essentially replacing that part of our judicial system. And then we're calling it a day. And that's only because I feel we have to. And it makes sense because she and people like her from the Senate tried as hard as they could. I looked it up real quick. The delegation of 2000, which signed the petition of 2000, which is one from... The source they reference is deleted scenes from Revenge of the Sith. Thank you. Um, That group believed in the Republic then. They still believe in the Republic now. And while, yes, 
most of you have been suffering for, you know, just shy of 30 years of a heavily industrial military complex Mm -hmm. to the galaxy. I remember when it wasn't this way and it doesn't need to be this way. And it's been not this way longer than it's been this way. So trust me, it's the only thing that could be bad is if not everyone agrees to this and not everyone demilitarized. Like if there was say like a military junta out in the unknown regions forming a military the size of the Republic, that would be terrible. But since that's not going to happen because they just signed a treaty saying they would never do that, we'll be fine. Yep. Yep. Who knew the bad guys don't like to play by the rules? They signed a treaty and then they signed it in bad faith. What the heck? (laughs) What the heck, man? They promised. (laughs) So Mon Mothma is a great character who has never had a leading role in anything, you know? Not really, no. Maybe if we ever get, you know, maybe when the Cassian Andor show comes out. Oh, uh, we could totally see more. We could see more. I mean, we have an actress, a new actress for Mon Mothma from Rogue One. Yeah, yeah. and Revenge of the Sith, we could uh, we could get a novelization, of course. Um, I could even see a short comic book run, although I doubt that feels like a you know this this could be a Claudia Gray project. Let's I mean, we would happen. also assign her to anything. Well, Does it have true. a strong female character in Star Wars? She should write it. Yeah, and then she comes out and she can write dudes male too. Characters. I yeah, know it's just it's perfect. How uh, could it get any better? Uh, um, yeah, yeah but the, you know that she has a new book coming out in February. That's exciting. It's, it's not far. We've never been closer. Um, so I think the thing with Mimapa is like she's a very symbolic character, and I think aftermath and some of the work they did in Rebels, we are slowly cobbling together someone who's more than just a symbol of the rebellion. Um, but I, I think there's still a lot more meat in the bone for how important she is on the galactic stage for yes. the better part of like 50 years. It's kind of a little disappointing how yeah. little of her yeah. view on it. Like we don't like, we see her always saying the right things and doing the right stuff. And we don't really see her debating that. We don't get her internal monologues of why she feels that way. I think certain point of view is some yeah. of the we most like, have into a her third, head. yeah, we only have a third person perspective. Of yeah, her, other than from it. a certain point of view. And, um, and that's like six pages. But it's sad that six pages is the most introspection we've had on this character in a lot of ways. Very true. So I think she's super important. And I think you're right. I think the Cass and Andrew show would be a great place to uncover more. Just because I'm looking forward to, because the Cass and Andrew show, I'm assuming, is going to feel very interesting. Because it's kind of the gap between Rebels and the actual Battle Scarif, right? Mm -hmm. When the whole thing, when the Rebels win their first great victory over the Galactic Empire. Like, we're going to see the early days of the Rebel Alliance because the Rebel show is so much of a, the Rebel selves coming together into that coalition. Yes. And they they end with that. But like, it'll be great to see them running the guerrilla war. And again, especially seeing Min Mothma as probably a much more compromised character. Like, condoning things she doesn't want to condone because it has to be done to get the war going Mm -hmm. that'll be yeah that could be really really cool i think we'll get it eventually uh but i believe that about everything and i mean we got a phasma book we got a phasma book and phasma comic book and i love phasma she's my girl but like she there's nothing to her those book and comic books add about a thousand percent more depth to her than she's allowed in the oh movies. Oh my gosh, not even a question. All right, well, uh, I don't know how we managed to talk about Mom Mothma for 45 minutes, but I'm really glad we did. I am too. Ready to move on to another political hero? We will. Let's do it. ...has appointed governors to oversee all star systems in the Republic. When did this happen? 
Oh, that decree was posted this morning. Do you think he'll dismantle the Senate? Why bother? As a practical matter, the Senate no longer exists. The Constitution is in shreds. Amendment after amendment. We cannot let a thousand years of democracy disappear without a fight. What are you suggesting? Suggesting? I, I apologize. I don't mean to sound like a separatist. We are not separatists trying to leave the Republic. We are loyalists trying to preserve democracy in the Republic. I can't believe it has come to this. Chancellor Palpatine is one of my oldest advisors. He served as my ambassador when I was queen. Senator, I fear you underestimate the amount of corruption that has taken hold in the Senate. The Chancellor has played the Senate as well. They know where the power lies and they will do whatever it takes to share in it. And we cannot continue debating about this any longer. We have decided to do what we can to stop it. Senator Mon Mothma and I are putting together an organization... Say no more, Senator, I understand. At this point, some things are better left unsaid. Agreed. And so we will not discuss this with anyone without everyone in this group agreeing. That means those closest to you, even family. No one can be told. Agreed. Bale's kind of a weird name, right? You know, it must be popular on Alderaan. You got Bale Organa, you got Bale Antilles, you got Bale, Bale. I'm sure there's a Bale. There's got to be more Do you think like in, in like in like high school, he's going along with this guy who's going to eventually be his captain. Like this guy, he befriends hmm. eventually becomes the captain of his personal transport. He, he's like, Oh yeah, no, I'm bail. O, and he's bail. A, you can just call me Organa or just call Antilles him at the end. Isn't Captain Antilles? Bail I think Antilles? that might be a different because Bail Antilles runs against Palpatine. That's where that name comes from in episode one. Is it? Bail Antilles of Alloran and oh. someone from Malastare. I can't remember. You're that. right. Apologies You're right. I might be getting that. Yeah. Because so we got three Antilles lines. Because it's weird, yeah. We're going to have to do a topic on Antilles and what that family name implies. Because as far as I know, so Bail Antilles, Captain Antilles of the Tantive V, yeah. and um, Wedge Antilles. Yeah. As far as I know, none of them are related. Yeah. I don't think so. Antilles is just like Jones over uh, on, on Alderaan. <laughs> so you got that, and then you got Bail for your first name. Yeah. And again, Bail's not a bad name, but it's, it's, it's like, I just think it's interesting because Star Wars conventions usually use a normal name. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, up until the Disney era where they had to make sure names work in every language, it they would use a normal name and then a funny, weird last name. Like, you'd have, like, Luke Skywalker, Han Solo. Um, and, like, Alderaan was always the exception. It was... Aftab Akbar. Well, no, but... <laughs> no, I, I don't. But, like, Leia I'm is kidding. a weird name, but yeah. it's Leia Organa because the Alderaan yeah. has different names. Um, I like the name Bale. I, I'll name. Do you think Sarah would let me name my kid Bale? I think you should still keep working on the Ben. That's the one yeah. I think you can get past the goalie. Yeah. Luckily, we didn't. She doesn't listen to this, so we don't have to worry about this. But I've been for years trying to like subliminal message my wife that we should name our our first son Ben. Mm-hmm. Uh, whenever that inevitably happens, probably in the near future. And, thinks and she we're thinks, working on it. And she thinks it's just mm-hmm. a good name because Benjamin is a perfectly mm-hmm. solid oh, name. Oh, no. We've talked about it. Just Ben. No, no, no. But you're positioning Ben because you know why you're picking Ben. Oh, sure, yeah. No, but she is also. We're I'm both. We her and I both are a big fan of one syllable names. Oh, okay. Um, we're also uh, the other night she was like, you know what name I kind of like? I like the name Reese. 
And in my head, I immediately go to Kyle Reese, of course, because where else does one's mind go? And I'm like, you know what? I like that too. <laughs> and uh, so, really, anything. And I you're can just get excited to tell your child eventually, like you were named after a cool movie character. Yeah. So uh, he's about to die, but let's sit down and watch it. Um, and if you really like this, you can watch a little tiny bit more of him in that <laughs> one Terminator that no one really likes except for Matt. me. Oh yeah, <laughs> except for me. I, I like Salvation. Anyway. Uh, oh, I thought you were talking about Genesis. Oh, I, oh, he's in both of those. He's in both of those. Uh, I like Genesis more than Salvation, even though I know people don't like Genesis. I, thought I won't go good. down that road with you, but I um, understand where you're coming Dark from. Dark Fate is better than all of them. Well, sorry. All of the sequels to T2. So if you haven't seen Dark Fate, I promise you it's worth your time. Actually, if you don't like The Last Jedi, you probably won't like it because you'll probably have the same complaints. Anyway. But the point of the matter is, those are all interesting connections to pop culture. And when... Bail Organa finally gets a face in, you know, episode three. Uh, it's like Jimmy Smith's. And it's like, that guy? That, okay, <laughs> show me more. And like, what a little tiny role that his presence really brings to life. Because we've always known that Bail Organa is an important person because yeah. from the second Leia says, you serve my father in the Clone Wars, he asks for your help now in his most desperate hour. Yeah. Like, we know that this is a guy who's playing for the right team. As a kid, right over my head, but totally. Yeah. Well, but I mean, e even then, you, you get the idea that Leia is a princess. So her father's like a king. He's the good, noble king asking for the knight. <laughs> That's what knight, we think, yeah. You know, to ask the knight to come back and fight for the kingdom. Like, yeah. so we never see him in episode four. So it's when three comes out, we finally kind of get a face to this mm -hmm. person that's been floating in the background, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Leia's adopted father. And he's just a terrific person. Well, I mean, so we, you already said it, but I also just want to say it. Jimmy Smith's is so much fun to watch. He is he just kind of like, no matter what character you see him in, he sort of just fits into the role kind of perfectly. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, we've also seen him in Rogue One, which just works out so perfectly because he's already older. Yeah. Um, but I also wanted to point out, don't we see him in episode two? He's in episode two as well. At the very end. You're right. Yeah. He's, so, he's, he's there as someone who talks to Senator. You're right. He talks to Senator Amidala a few times at the beginning about like how bad the situation is. And then his, I think his most famous part of that is he's the one who sees the loading dock on Coruscant of loading all the, all the clone troopers. And he's the one who like looks away going like, I don't think this is a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Even then uh, they're setting that up, up the thread. But yeah, I mean, he's great. He gets a, I mean, he's a very much a big secondary character in Revenge of the Sith. Yes. Like he's got a lot, like that is a large, important part that he plays in that. What film. we know about Bail Organa, just similar to what we talked about with Mothman stuff, career politician, was raised yeah. in the diplomatic corps of Alderaan, was kind of groomed for this. He's a member of this famous house, the House of Organa. He is. Mar by marriage. By marriage, by yes. By marriage, yes. His wife is the ruler, Bail Organa is the ruler of Alderaan, the monarch of Alderaan. Right, he marries up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But he, you know, he, so his political connections, anyway, they have a beautiful relationship that you can see in uh, Leia, Princess of Alderaan, another yes. Claudia Gray book, which is great. And, um, well, we'll talk about the other one in a minute. But yeah, uh, yeah. for as far as Bale goes, we see him in film and he does a lot of important things early on. So we know he has a lot of the same upbringing as Mon Mothma and we know that he has some 
moments in the Clone Wars similar to her of, you know, he's early on there. He's, you know, trying to get supplies from Anakin who's trying to run a blockade and the very first yep. arc of the Clone Wars. So, you know, he's there early on. We see him a lot chronologically as this senator who not only is close with Padme and Mon Mothma, but also is fairly close with Obi-Wan and Anakin. The Jedi are more, f he's more friends and gets to know the Jedi as people yeah. more than it seems that general senators would be interested in. Yes. Like he, he tries, he tries to make those relationships happen. Bale is like one of those guys who he's a good person because he's a good person. Yeah. Not because he expects something in return or not because he's like a, I'm waking up trying to be a good person. He's just one of those people who he naturally is a good and, person. And I think the traits we see in him that his daughter is going to inherit is he's someone who believes in the system, believes in the rule of law, believes in the Republic. But a little more than we saw from like Mon Mothma, he's also a person who wants that to be in action, not just principle. He is more directly involved. Like you said, we see in Clone Wars him skirting things a little bit to make to make things happen. He thinks that the the effect sometimes is more important than how we cause it to happen. Mm -hmm. Um and that will become really important because I mean I would say, you know, when he sees the military, he sees this as an action and it doesn't matter what principles we put behind why we're building an army. There's something just repugnant about needing one. Yes. Is it's like the, you know, the, at least here in America, where things are all kinds of messed up. If you have a gun in your house, right, you're much more likely to shoot yourself or have someone shoot you with it right. than to actually use it to defend yourself. And it's kind of the same concept here. By escalating, by having an army, mm -hmm. right, you start a battle. I mean, the first battle of the Clone Wars, yes, to be fair, the Separatists were about to execute some Jedi. However, they did break into a industrial complex well, meeting. The, so they kind of throw the, the, the first point, stone, but at the same time, the army was already what, being built by the separatists. So let's sum it up it and put it in context of probably when it was coming out and what it <laughs> not necessarily, I don't think, was written towards. Because again, the, in theory, the, most of those things were written in George's head in the 70s. But a terrorist attack on a small group of Republic citizens leads to the Republic invading a sovereign planet and absolutely garrisoning and annexing it. Yep. That's weird. <laughs> and if no you're doubt. a Senator from a planet that for centuries at this point has had no weapons because you are so as a culture, stuck in the principles of diplomacy, negotiation, and trade, mm -hmm. you don't need weapons and you've never needed them because you've just, you know, you can always talk it out. It's about how do you make, how do you make the table set so people can talk it out? That's the hard part. It's never about if you're going to talk it out because you're going to always talk it out. And so it makes sense that when he sees an army, he feels that like, you know, I think he, if I remember correctly, his actual pose is him like hitting his hand off of a railing because he's just like, we screwed it up. We've already failed. We've added a gun to the table. And the only way that anyone leaves the table is with that gun going off. Hopefully it's just shooting it into the ceiling to say we don't need a gun, but it might end it with someone being shot. Yeah. And he's right. He's <laughs> absolutely mean, he's right. He's got the forethought to be right, right? I mean, uh, you know, after you'll probably have all these senators going on the hollow saying, who could have ever seen this coming as they lined their pockets? But Bale was right. He had the hindsight before. There's got to be a word for that, right? <laughs> Pre-sight? 
foresight is what it foresight, is. Foresight, yeah. Yes, I was, it was a joke, but yeah. Um, um, anyway. So, um, so, so in episode three, we see him do other things because he realizes the Republic is falling. So what does he do? He goes to the Jedi Temple to try and help just being the good guy that he is. Right. And well, he sees the smoke. Go ahead. I just want to say, and we've already seen him. He's a architect of this delegation oh, sure. of 2000. Like, yeah. Like Mon Mothma, he's right there of like, we've got to de-escalate. And I think yes. more so than Mon Mothma, Mon Mothma is more like, we got to protect the Republic and its way of life. I think he's like, yes, and getting rid of that army is step one. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, taking that army away from him more. is the first step. Bale feels like a get it done type of guy. Mon right. Mothma feels more like a big picture. Not that she's not getting things done. God, I'm not and, saying that. But she feels like the planner. He feels like the general on the ground in a lot of ways. And we have that action-oriented things of like, when you see, he sees a fire at the Jedi Temple. And rather than just phone 911, he lands to see what he can do to help. He's like, what's going on here? Yeah. And then what does he see, Ross? He sees a Padawan coming out on the runway and get gunned down by some clone troopers. The clone troopers tell him to leave, can't be here. Then they start shooting at him. Yes. And this is a senator who is just trying to help. Right. And so this spurs him to realize something is wrong, goes out into the galaxy and intercepts a couple of Jedi Knights. Yes. So he is essentially um, a big reason why Yoda and Obi-Wan are able to survive and to gain the information that they do by returning to Coruscant. He mm -hmm. literally takes them, you know, Yoda from Kashyyyk and Obi-Wan from Utapau and saves them from, you know, there gets the, you know, gets them into space, mm -hmm. gets them back onto Coruscant and to the Jedi Temple so they can, you know, not only reverse the signal calling Jedi back to Coruscant, right. which they know is obviously not a trap. Yeah, you know, you don't want that. Uh and they're able to see the hollow recordings of Anakin all because of Bale yep. and his selflessness. I mean, if he had been discovered, he'd be dead. Oh yeah, and, I and, mean, and no he... doubt. And he already, and also just again, he believes in the system. He's like, I've already been attacked by our army after identifying myself as a senator, which means the coup is already happening. So while what normal people would probably do, which is run away from the situation and protect your own, mm. he's like, I got to get the Jedi because they're the only apparatus of justice in our system that I can trust will still work. Totally. Totally. Because they're an independent body, right? So right. you have him saving Yoda, saving Obi-Wan, helping them out. And then after Yoda fails and Obi-Wan fails, he is there again to help them, to provide resources, to help try and save Padme. And then eventually to keep their secrets. Yeah. Like he is one of the few people in the universe who knows where both Yoda and Obi-Wan are. And knows that they're alive and that all yeah. the Jedis were wiped out. And that's a lie. Yeah. He also is the one of the only people who knows there are twins and that they're yes. Anakin Skywalker's children. Yes. Yes. And he takes one and raises it as his own. What mm -hmm. a selfless act to bring a child into royalty. Mm -hmm. You know, it really, really is something else. Uh, and it's one of the reasons why even though we don't have a ton of content for him. He's a character that strikes a lot of love in the fandom, for sure. Sure. Part of it's the acting of Jimmy Smith. Part of it's the writing of the character. Part of it's the situations. But when he came back in Rogue One, everyone loved it. Yeah, and everyone he, and he has that same thing. Of you can see him understanding the wisdom of this little rebellion council that they can't make a full assault on Scarif. Mm -hmm. That will cost too much. He's pragmatic about it, but he's the one who's going like, but this stinks. We should. We should find a way to, like, do the right yes. thing here. Yes. 
for sure. He is always he's he's never satisfied. He's always like, how could we make this better? And that's a, such a noble trait. And unfortunately, right after that, he's like, well, I have business I need to get to at home. Yeah. And he goes to Alderaan. And then we know what happens next, which is on Alderaan when the Death Star rolls into the system. Um, in fact, in our favorite source of all time, <laughs> from a certain point of view, yeah. we get to experience Bale's perspective as the Death Star looms over his planet. And he starts processing what it's all about. And it's very, I think, implied in the story. He feels the force of like, there's a certain amount of, as it's happening and he sees the puzzle pieces coming together of like, this can't be good. What are they going to do to the planet? And when the super laser goes off and kind of figures out, I think the planet's going to die. There's just this selflessness to him of like, but I hope my, I'm glad my daughter's not here. I hope she's far away and safe. Yeah. And I feel this overwhelming sense of hope that this is not the end, that something good will come from the horrible thing I'm seeing happening right now. Yeah. And that's kind of the moment. That's what he's holding in his head as his life is extinguished. Yeah. It's a really, it's, it's one of the, you know, we talk about it a lot. It is one of the better short stories from the book. And that is saying a lot. Yes. Because there are a lot of them in there that I would describe as very, very good. Or Indeed. Uh, and so, it's sad we will never get to see that character again in film post that time. Yeah, but the, the nice thing we'll is like we, yeah. the nice thing we see is like even with like Rogue One of like yeah that cast an Andor show maybe, <laughs> maybe give him we'll some work some, maybe we'll get some Jimmy Smiths I would love it. Uh, you know the only other thing I've ever because he's in the West Wing right that's like one yes, of his other big that's roles. his kind of yeah the, the, I've never seen that the only thing I've seen him in oh, he's okay. in some of the later seasons of Sons of Anarchy. I've never seen that. Okay, so we've seen two different sides um, of him. (laughs) That was a, yeah, and it's funny because obviously that was after Star Wars. I think that show, he was on that show in like 2010, 2011. Mm -hmm. Um, He's very, very good in it, but it's such a different role. So Mm -hmm. to see him play this like gangster dad on this TV show, Mm -hmm. it really, I mean, it just makes you more fond of the guy and the actor and and the person. Yeah, I think it's one of the better castings in Star Wars, yeah. of especially of a, of a person we knew, like of a known actor. Yeah. Um, and I think, like I said, it just elevates that character. And Bail Organa is such an important character because while, you know, he dies in episode four, like we get, to, I guess in a lot of ways, we learn so much more about that character mm-hmm. through who Leia is. Mm-hmm. You know, even in Bloodline, she's, she's talking about like, you know, there's a woman in her, you know, 40s talking about like, the lesson she learned about diplomacy from her mom and dad, the, the, the nobility and cause for, we need to do something. It's not good enough to feel that you should do something. You have to go do it that she inherits from him. She'd be more like in her sixties in bloodline. Is it that far out? Yeah. She's 46 BBY. So she's 46 at Yavin. And that would be like 24, 26, 28, Give or take. No, no, no. My Mothma is Leia's not. Oh, I thought that's what you were saying. No, I was saying Leia. Cause I'm talking about her father. Bail oh, Organa. I'm you're, sorry. I'm you're, sorry. You're, I'm like, I thought you Leia's were talking about... 20 at the Battle of... Y- <laughs> I, I just you're completely... Good. My mind just skipped for a second. We've been talking about a lot of Mama yeah. Mothma and Bale, and there's a lot of cross-tissue oh, there. Oh, my gosh. It's also been just a day. You're, you're uh, okay. Anyway, you're all good. Uh, Don't worry about sorry it. Sorry about that. Um, let's continue, please. No, but I I'm just saying, like, like, we see in especially the action-oriented way of Leia, her being far more... Um, active and yeah. and the, the again the, poli- the the politician says we got to do the right thing now hand me that blaster <laughs> <laughs> you know like that's the kind of person yeah. that 
bail raised, I guess, is what we're getting at. Yes, it is a mix of policy and action. Yes. Uh, and you and you really get to feel that in Leia, Princess of Alderaan. She's yes. 14 in that book. And you get to learn about her strifes with her par- parents, you know, the, the teenage angst and the the uh, the way her parents teach her and help her grow and um, the way they try and be good people, too. Like, the way yeah. they try and teach her to be a good person. It, it's just a really, really great portrait of not only Leia, but of Bale in that book. So if you're looking for a, a little more Bale um, and you have watched episode three recently, go and pick up Leia, Princess of Alderaan. And... If you're this type of person, uh, Leia, Princess of Alderaan has just been, the first part has just come out, been adapted into a manga, like some other previous Star Wars content. So the first of three is out of that as well. And if that's what you want to do, I really suggest it, because there's a lot of rich content for Bale out there in the expanded, Mm -hmm. you know, um, not not the expanded universe, but the comic books, the, the, um, yeah, the, the, the outside of the filmed content. Um, and I really, I, I think he's a fascinating character. And, and again, ever since you said it during the mouth, but they got like, yeah, I want the cast and Anders show to give me more. Like, I want to learn who Jan Dodona is and Bale and Mothman, all these characters who haven't gotten enough, uh, who, who have a lot more character to show us in that time period. I would love to see that. Hopefully we'll get it. All right, well, let's go talk about the legacy he provides, and let's go talk a little bit about the New Republic. Let's do it. Mac, we want to take a pause from the show here to talk about something that's very important and something we've talked about before. The fact that Star Wars needs to be a place for everybody. That means that everybody needs to be welcome. Yeah, and, you know, luckily you and I were uh, both uh, brought up in a way and experienced life in a way that we feel pretty open uh, to all Mm -hmm. sorts of different people. But we definitely understand that there are a lot of people out there in different situations who maybe have some different opinions than us. And, of course, there are times when differing opinions are perfectly great and valid. But when it comes to human rights, it's something that we believe should belong to every person. And so today what we're to talk to you briefly about is a fundraiser that has been started by some other members of the Star Wars community, and we just want to take a minute and amplify it a little bit. Yeah, I mean, something we heard at the end of Last Jedi that Rose says is that we're going to win this war not by fighting what we hate, but by saving what we love. And Mm -hmm. what's great about fundraisers like this is we're trying to promote the positive things that this community can do for not just ourselves and Star Wars fans, but the world. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yes. And uh, it's fun to point out, too, hey, that's also the Jedi's philosophy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a lot of people forget about that. But anyway, this uh, fundraiser, which you can find on GoFundMe, and if you search, it is titled Trans Rights Are Human Rights. This is the way. Mm-hmm. And this is a fundraiser that's been going on for a little while now. They've raised over 11000 Dollars at the time of recording this. Isn't that yeah. insane? $11,000. It's exciting, but it's still 
can go further. Mm -hmm. And that's why we want to boost that voice and let you know about it so that you can support it. Absolutely. So please feel free to seek this out. We are going to share the links on our Twitter uh, as well in the coming weeks uh, to go along with our different Mandalorian segments that we're going to be doing. But uh, we also just want to point out why does this exist, right? Well, where this money is going is to the Trans Law Center to Mm -hmm. help defend people who can't defend themselves against um, either physical attacks or discrimination. Right. And so what we're trying to do here is just let you know that these things are very important to us. Mm -hmm. And this is the kind of community that we will have here at Star Wars All In. So let's just look at it this way. We're Star Wars All In for a reason, because it's all in on Star Wars and everyone belongs. And this is all about following the way, which is to accept everyone just the way they are and support people's fights to be the people that they are. Welcome back to week two of our eight weeks of Mandalorian topics. Yeah. This week, we are pulling a topic from chapter 10, The Passenger, mm-hmm. episode two of season two of The Mandalorian. Now, this is an episode that gave us some really, really new cool stuff in Star Wars, mm-hmm. but so much of it is new to this episode. So there's really not a lot we can talk about Uh so what we chose to talk about was, since we see some New Republic pilots, and since at this point we're a couple of years into the New Republic being firmly established and the Emperor, uh, the Empire sort of being not completely exercised from the galaxy, but very much on the fringes, you know, warlords and whatnot, mm-hmm. um, we decided to talk about New Republic X-Wings, since mm-hmm. we see a couple of X-Wings and a couple of X-Wing pilots in their New Republic gear uh, in this episode a little bit. So that's what we're going to talk about. And Mac is our ship expert. So So, Mac, tell me about some ships. Okay. So the basics here that are are interesting is we're seeing X-Wings as patrol craft Mm -hmm. in this, which makes sense. They're hyperdrive equipped uh, vehicles. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of surplus from them from the Civil War. That would make good sense. And they're Mm -hmm. flying in this, uh, you know, formation with pairs Mm -hmm. and they're just moving around the galaxy. And what we basically get in a very delightful way is the Star Wars of equivalent of, sir, do you know why I pulled you over? (laughs) (laughs) Like, because they pull up alongside him and then they're like, hey, can we see your papers? Can you turn on your transponder? And I love the Mando's like. Um, mine's a pre-imperial surplus. It doesn't need to have a transponder on. Yeah, that's how it used to be. But we'd really like if you could just turn, just, just flip that guy on. Just turn it on. Like, do, do you have a ping? Can you give us a ping? At least a ping so we can just, you know, just to identify you. Just, just to identify you. Uh, no, I don't really, I don't really have that. Well, we're going to have to, we're going to have to run your, run your plates and pull you over. You know, Quick stop over at the local precinct. 
won't take long. Oh, actually, I did find my transponder. And then you can't see it because he's wearing a helmet, but you can tell he's gritting his teeth going, hopefully this will work out in my favor. Because once they run his plates, we're reminded of the last time the Mandalorian had a run in with the New Republic, yep. which was when he was on the prison ship and working a prison break heist, which the New Republic won't smile fondly upon. No, they won't be too happy. But they, uh, well, that causes them to basically, it's funny because there's this great comedic timing moment in the oh, show. Oh, it's great. So just in case you haven't realized by now, spoilers, we didn't say it explicitly before the topic. But it's, it's explicit in what we're doing. That's true. Guys, if you're topic C, the third topic of every show for the next now six weeks, yeah. don't listen to it if, unless you're watching Mando in sequence. Because, yes. yeah. There will be slight spoilers at least. So what we see here is this great moment where he just looks to the X-Wing. Well, first you hear uh, the pilot who we realize is uh, Trapper Wolf, Dave Filoni, yes. say, hey, Carson, can you go on to Channel 2 for a second? And so he oh. mutes. And then we just slowly see to, to the right and then to the left that the spoilers open the, up the on S the spoils open to attack yeah. position. Yeah. It's like, that's not good. That's yeah. basically the cup going going from the, the whoop, whoop to like you're yeah. done you're done we're yeah, it's we, not you're, looking good we went from a normal check to yeah we're gonna arrest you now <laughs> yeah and they basically come back on and they say hey were you in the vicinity of a new republic prison ship and he just takes off doesn't give time to answer yeah. and what we see now is a fantastic x-wing chase through atmosphere yes um which is fantastic. So they're on this planet, Maldo Chris, that is a new planet. We've never seen it before. They're right. flying through the skies. It's sort of like cloud cover. We get this really cool shot where we're inside of an X-Wing cockpit. Yes. And the camera tilts to the left. Mm -hmm. and Well, pans to the left. Yeah. And we see just the, the Razor Crest through the cockpit glass. Oh, that's awesome. You get to see them using, really love it. Uh, much like we just saw with squadrons, you see like all the heads up displays tracking the Razor's Crest yep. as more realistic and like tracking the Razor Crest and like giving that like uh, more Star Wars is a place stuff. <laughs> yes. um, and it's already Star Wars is a place because Dave Filoni's character here is the second time we've seen him in an X-Wing because we saw that in a uh, previous chapter. When chapter six, the same one. Is it? Does it end? Oh, yeah, it does yeah. start and end with that that space station, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it does. So so after the Mandalorian cleared out and basically undid that heist because he ended up turning in half those people <laughs> <laughs> yes. because he did he wasn't here to break criminals out. He was here to get what he needed from this situation. Yes. He leaves those prisoners and collects their bounties and all that kind of stuff, but he leaves his friends from this space station and that space station gets turned over to the New Republic and the New Republic has mission has orders to blow it up. So they do. And Dave Filoni's Trapper Wolf is there doing that. So like th these two characters already missed each other and now they're finally coming together and it's to arrest the Mandalorian. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And luckily through some uh, fancy flying by Mando, he is able to outrun the X-Wings and uh, lose them temporarily, falling through a sheet of ice in his ship. Some uh, what I'll call hijinks ensue. And then eventually... There's a nice big heroic moment for our two X-Wing pilots. Because we know that these guys are probably Galactic Civil War vets because they're not pushovers. He does this amazing maneuver in the cloud, this like dead man's drop where he does an Immelman and then falls to the ground. And like 
they're on him a second later. Like, that didn't fool them at all. And it's this insane maneuver. And I'm like, oh, Mando, I thought that would have worked too. <laughs> um, and so it's not surprising that they still catch up with him. They, st- they, they circled back. They kept yeah. looking until they found the seat signature and go, that doesn't belong under the ice. Let's get down there. <laughs> yes. And when they arrive, they find a razor crest that is trapped beneath a gigantic ice spider. Right. And he just starts hearing the thump of heavy cannon fire. And yeah. we don't know exactly what's happening, but the spider that was about to murder him seems to not be trying to murder him anymore. And that's a good thing. Yes. So and the Mando makes his way down, finds out his entire cargo bay is just soaked in webbing. Yes. Yes. Makes his way out. And he sees two Republic officers shooting from their cockpits of their X-Wings, saving the day. And then they just kind of turn to him and point, sort of point the guns a little in his direction. And he's like... So, hey, so you're the guy who did that prison thing, right? Yeah. And you're also the guy that collected the bounty on those three guys. Yeah, yeah, I am. (laughs) (laughs) And they just sort of cut the deal of like, oh, well, we'll, you know, Mando makes the deal of like, hey, I won't collect bounties on that if you overlook this. And also get me the stuff to repair my ship. And they're like, yeah, we'll look over this. What about the stuff to repair my ship? That's you, man. Bye. Get it fixed by the next time we see you. Yeah. Bye. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Get, it's basically the cop equivalent of like, yeah, your left blinker's done. Get that fixed. Yeah. Have a good night, sir. Yeah. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll take this as a win. And yeah, I'm drive sure, safe. Yeah. And Mando is happy. Eventually, he is able to repair the ship, take off. The giant dead spider <laughs> slowly thumps off the top of the ship, and he is able to sort of drift to his destination. And so what we now see is um, at least here, which is like six years after Endor, five years essentially after the end of the Galactic Civil War, most of the ships, it seems, in the New Republic fleet are surplus. Because both of these ships, while they have slightly different uh, liveries on them, there's a little more blue in them. They also have uh, me translating Arabish, which I don't have a choice. I have to. Um, You can see the rescue Um, which is a normal thing you see on jet fighters, which is where is the pieces to break the canopy off if you need to rescue the person inside there. It's an Arabish right behind the cockpit. And that's something you didn't see in the original movies or anything, which just kind of tells me of like, oh yeah, you're a legitimate government. You have to go put all the safety warnings on your ships now. (laughs) Um, That's really funny. But all of these are T-65, the standard X-Wings that we see throughout most of the movies. These are not the fancy new ones, the uh, T-70s, which are what like Poe drives around in and the resistance flies. And they're not the T-71s, which is the New Republic fleets ones that we see uh, Kaz flying at the beginning of the resistance TV show. So these, these are, for lack of a better term, these are going to be phased out soon because they're just, they're what we had during the Civil War, and now we can do better now that the galaxy's whole again. Mm-hmm. And I just found it kind of interesting because, of course, for us as fans, it's like, well, that's that's the X-Wing. That's the correct and most real X-Wing. Ha. Um, because, I mean, there's a whole subplot about the fact of, like, there's the T-71s, and most of the pilots don't like them because they do too much for you. They're too computerized, which is why it's funny that Kaz, the main character of Resistance, really loved his. <laughs> And Poe's like, I fly the old one because it's better. <laughs> That's funny. I haven't gotten to that Resistance episode yet. Uh, yeah. Well, you have to watch them to do that. No, you just get in it. Well, they don't put a ha- they don't hang a lantern on that. Oh, in one of the Poe okay, okay. 
I don't think it's the comic. It's one of the post stories is where he talks about why they ended up with the older models of the X-Wing is the backbone of the resistance fleet. And they basically talk about the fact of, again, about all this. And they mentioned the T-71. And the only time we ever have seen one in canon, like physically, is when Kaz is saved by Poe Dameron at the very first episode mm. of Resistance, he is flying a New Republic T-71. It doesn't look crazy different, but nerds like me are very aware of the differences. Okay. So it's kind of interesting to see again that the the New Republic, at least at the time of uh, the Mandalorian, is basically like, "Hey, we're the Rebellion, uh, the New Republic." <laughs> like, there's still yeah, they're in a transitional phase. And just look at what happens. Hey, you know what? You collected those bounties. I think we can let you go. Like, we're a legitimate government, so we're going to say we shouldn't have done this, but we're going to let it happen because it's not like we haven't done horrible things in our time funding a galactic war. We get it. Mando, we think you're an okay guy. Just keep your nose clean. Yeah. Yeah. Also, you'd probably kill us if we try to arrest you right now, so... (laughs) We've got two guns aimed on you, and we still don't think that's going to work, so... Yeah, I'm just saying. I wonder if that played into it at all. Well, I think... I think the big thing you see is they can probably already see from everything that they've observed of this situation. Yeah. They've seen the Mandalorian protect at least two other life forms. Mm-hmm. So he can't be that bad of a guy. Yeah. Right. He cannot be a guy who breaks people out of prison willy nilly because he's just a total heartless merc. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a, I think in a strange way, I might give it the teeniest tiny echo and I'm maybe giving them too much credit, but like, it's the same thing as when the marshal walks into the um, the cantina and goes, I know you would probably just kill me. But then I see that little guy and I say, there's <laughs> something different about you. You are not just a gun for hire. There's something different about you. Yeah. And I think everyone is sensing that. That's why Frog Lady, which I'm very disappointed the subtitles did not betray a name to us. Mm-hmm. But Especially after we got Dr. Mandible. Exactly. Frog Lady. Um. It, you know, is a person that shouldn't be trusting a Mandalorian, yeah. but but has heard stories through her friend at the, at, you know, the person she's contacted at Moss yeah. Eisley that, no, 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 you shouldn't trust a mercenary, but you can trust this mercenary. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's, I think it's starting to build a reputation of the slowly, slowly, slowly building folklore around this particular Mando and he's cut from a different cloth. Yeah. I think we'll know more and hopefully in addition, a name for frog lady in the future when we meet frog husband, frog man, frog, (laughs) frog woman and frog man together. They are the frogs. Yeah. And so it's going to happen eventually. And frog man will go, there's a far less spawning than you reported when you left Moss Eisley and the, the child will burp and it'll be really funny and kind of, really dark yeah there are a lot of people online talking about disappointment in uh, the child eating unfertilized eggs so which i, I don't ha- understand but i appreciate your opinion well if you've ever had an omelet you really don't have room to talk well that's kind of my interpretation that's of the it, first right? thing that's the yeah. first thing because like you said i think a lot of people aren't remembering these are amphibians so those are potential beings they are not yeah not to get oh, into an boy. abortion debate, but yeah, this is before avoid, conception. Yeah, maybe we should avoid the topic. Let, let's just let's just put it this way. Yeah. 
I think when the child eat one at the beginning, I think it was funny because the kid doesn't know any better. Yeah. They might hold the joke a few too many times, especially yeah. that last one snuck in the end. It's kind of like the, no, actually, when did you have time to do that? See, that's the one I like the best because it was but, so ridiculous. It was is the one at the so end. ridiculous. That was actually the one that made me laugh the most because you also get to see the egg go into the mouth and you hear that vacuum sound the best with that mm. one, which well, I thought was really funny. And I think at the end of the time, if you've ever worked or hang around babies, you understand creatures of utter chaos. They have no idea what they're doing, and they keep doing it anyway. <laughs> mm-hmm, exactly. So, but I, they, I, it works if it keeps if you keep getting eggs, keep on doing it. Hey, as long as their species survive, it's fine, <laughs> right? I mean, That's in right. theory, when she gets well, to... her species is not the issue. It's just her bloodline. Remember, well, once they get to trash, the yeah. idea would be that. She could spawn other eggs, maybe. This maybe isn't the only go-around. The important thing is to get to an environment where her husband can fertilize the eggs. We'll yeah. go from there. I don't know. She did say... They do say it's the last of her eggs. We'll see. It'll be the end of her She might be line. using hyperbole. The vocabulary, well, there's room for interpretation. She doesn't even well, have a name. That's true. That that could be. That could um, be. Luckily, they didn't eat all the eggs. That's uh, all that matters. It's... Yes. Hey, New Republic X-Wings are neat. The New Republic's pretty neat. The New Republic, hey, remember when uh, that officer, um, speaking of chapter six, the officer who he tries to save, that's the other reason why mm-hmm. they say, you know, they're letting him go. His uniform is pretty cool. It His is. New Republic uniform. It is. Uh, well, that whole ship was like, oh, this is this is like the Tan of V. This is what nice <laughs> ships look like. Yeah. <laughs> they could be white and nice and look like they're designed by Apple. This is nice. <laughs> All right. Well, this was a lot of fun. Yeah. I can't wait to be back here next week after chapter 11 to do another topic. All right. Let's get to wrapping this thing up so we can get there all the more sooner. All right, the cockpit is sealed. We can at least breathe in here. Make sure you pee before we take off, but we can limp this thing across the finish line now, I think. Yes, that's exactly what we're going to do because at the time of recording, we are only a few days away from Chapter 11, and that's where my mind's at. Not to mention, we both just got our copies of, from a certain point of view, The Empire Strikes Back. The sequel to our favorite... (laughs) So get ready for topics that will have to do with The Empire Strikes Back, I guess. I, I feel bad. We've probably put too much hype in this book. I hope it delivers on half of that. And the nice thing is it's got, what, 40, 40 different opportunities yeah. to impress or depress us? Only half of them need to be amazing. And, and I I'm think sure, it's going to... I have faith. I have faith. If there's one thing in Star Wars I always will have faith in, it is the novels. Because and, they cannot be as bad as some of the Legends novels that were out there. It's just not possible. Uh, we can work towards that goal, yeah. I'm sure. But... um. You put those comic book stories in there. You're starting to muddy the waters a little bit. But um, yeah, no, it's a very exciting time because you and I have been anticipating this book all all year. And in a crazier world, when we forgot that this isn't part of the ongoing election year, um, we were like, hey, when that book comes out, we should just read it that day and do a podcast about it, which was maybe unrealistic. (laughs) 
Yeah, apparently. I uh, I believe you that we had that conversation for sure. I think we had it back like May the 4th. Yeah. Which, what a different world we were in in May the 4th. a very different world. And it's like, in theory, sure. But sometimes I order a book and it doesn't show up till like 6 p.m. on launch day. Right, right. <laughs> like, what were we thinking? Well, I was so, thinking that I ordered the audio book and it yeah. will definitely be there at like 3 a.m. So did you start listening it to today already? <sighs> no. Okay. So <laughs> I, I haven't either. I, full disclosure. I spent my day uh, just staring at my door going, you know, Best Buy hasn't said they're shipping my Xbox today, but they seem to imply that they would ship it today. <laughs> I can't wait to get my Xbox and not play games on it because... Well, dang it, I bought one, so I'm going to wait for it. <laughs> I sp- See, it's funny. I spent the whole day staring at my door waiting for a boiler repairman that didn't show up. Yeah, it's been a lot of waiting today. But luckily, it's like and, 70 degrees. And so you know what I should have done it. with that waiting? Yeah. Listen to certain point of view. It's okay. I should have been reading Night Errant, and I wasn't. Well, so here we are. I will say one thing I do want to mention for Star Wars fans that does relate to the Xbox and PlayStation launches. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, actually, just the Xbox. PlayStation, of course, all the stuff's backward compatible, so there's a whole slew of games you can get into. If you haven't played it yet, you can get into squadrons and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I would like to say if you are a fan of the Xbox platforms, whether that's on PC or whether it's on the actual consoles, uh, if you are a Game Pass subscriber, Fallen Order is now on Game Pass through the EA um, All Access. So you can play Fallen Order. If somehow you missed it, you can play it as part of your subscription. So get out there and play it. It's amazing. And I know we already talked before the end of the year, we will have a yeah. spoilery topic about it. So you might yeah. want to get through that before yeah. you get, we get there. Totally. You know, we talked about Mon Mothma. Now let's go talk about another redhead who just... It's getting stuff done. Cal Kestis, man, he yeah. he is. He's uh-huh. he's one of the more powerful gingers in the. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, there so aren't many other than those two. What we got? Enfy's Nest. Do we have any others? Or a sing. Oh sure, sure. Good. She's one. a pretty fierce redhead. Yeah. Good call. So we got four, and uh, that might be where we're landing. Huh. Okay. Uh, well, I just if you can think of any other redheads in Star Wars. Shoot us a tweet. We should get, let's get an esoteric topic like that going, like redheads and stars. Let's talk about all of them. There was blank and blank and blank. Thanks for listening. This has been a great podcast. That could be a fun. Maybe we'll do that on April Fool's when we run out of topics. Uh, I also want to just point out one thing that just delighted me to no end was hearing, uh, uh, I'm going to butcher his name, Richard Aoti? Aoti? I think it's Aoti. I think it's Aoti. Famous um, British comedian. You might know him. I think his probably most famous role over here would be um, as Moss in the IT crowd. He's a great British comedian. He's in tons of stuff. Had his own like fake night show that was awesome. Really great actor. And he plays the voice of that damaged droid, the frog lady. Yeah. 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 No, it was just great to hear him again and go like, yeah, we're getting even more chances to have these what I assume is people that travel in the circles of Tiki, Titi Watiti. Ah, I butchered his name. Man, I can't do it's names okay. today. Like that circle of weirdos. People that would make guest appearances on Flight of the Concords are getting Star Wars roles, and it makes me happy. <laughs> <laughs> Only more to come. Only more to come. Only more to come. We've never been closer. And I feel that Droid's going to still do something more because I appreciate that they they set that up in the like previously on the Mandalorian. They reminded you of why there's a carcass of a protocol droid on the ship. But I'm like, it's a little bit role. I. I cannot express how excited I am for chapter 11 because it feels like the part two to chapter 10. Yeah, it does feel like we're back in that not getting a complete story 
in a single episode, and I'm excited to see where that and, goes. And I'm happy that it's we are getting complete adventures. Yes. But we are not getting complete stories, yes. and that's fine. Yes. So let's see where it goes. We've got now in season two, we've got a Boba Fett thread hanging. We've got, obviously, the mission to save Frog Lady's bloodline. And we still need to search out some Mandos. So a lot to take place in the next six episodes. It's going to be so good. We've never been closer. All right. Well, until then, I'm Mac. And I'm Ross. And until next Wednesday. May the Force be with you. This production is not endorsed by any other property and is the sole responsibility of Mac Purvis III, Ross Greco, and those involved in its production. It is meant for entertainment purposes only. Other than content provided by this production's providers, all music, music clips, sound bites, rights are reserved, and their respective owners have not endorsed any aspect of this show. Copyright 2020.